Payments Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney and I'll be your host for this episode where we're taking a bit of a different approach. Usually we're going to lead off with a specific topic in mind as we did recently, for example, when we discussed the next step for ISO 20022 messaging with Bottomlines at Ireland. This time, however, the topics are much broader, including real-time payments, fraud, AI, and open banking, and there's admittedly not a lot of guests we could find to fill that bill, but we do have one today. Peter Davey is known as one of the most knowledgeable and insightful advocates on the payment scene. He was one of the original architects involved in designing and launching the first real-time payment system in the U.S. from the clearinghouse. He is a tireless advocate for the advancement of community banks and credit unions, leveraging new technologies to propel banking and services forward. His time at the Clearinghouse and his current role at Alloy Labs continue his proven track record of building teams and organizations and building consensus around payment strategies and providing subject matter expertise in many industry forums, including this one. And we're very happy to have him on today. Thank you. Thanks for coming, Peter. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's great to have you. There's so much to talk about here that falls under your current remit as well as your previous experience. Um, so I, I struggled with where to start, but let's start with an issue that's right in your strike zone here, and that's real-time payments. So FedNow is now online. The Clearinghouse recently celebrated $500 million in real-time payments. I'm interested to see your take on what it would take to keep that momentum going. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Even though uh, TCH had launched RTP back in 2017, and it's now been out for six years, and the Fed is now coming to the marketplace, I like to use the analogy similar to what we just kicked off with football this uh, this past weekend. You know, we are still in the first couple minutes of the first quarter of a football game, um, and that's TCH on the field playing uh, and continues to grow that. The Federal Reserve just launching their FedNow system is really just coming onto the field at this juncture. Um, so even though this stuff has been around for a while, we're still very much in the infancy in terms of adoption and, and where we're going to end up seeing this stuff go. And part of that comes down to sort of the dichotomy of the send versus receive side. Uh, a lot of folks have been focused in on receiving transaction and that's great, but you really don't have a full-fledged network until you can send those transactions. And a lot of community banks and credit unions out there still don't have the access to the technology that they need to be able to allow their customers to send these types of payments. Um, I think you've heard me say before, I hate the term ubiquity. Nobody should ever talk about that because ubiquity means that every user has the tools in their hands. So when you think about the next couple of years, um, yeah, we're still going to have a lot of folks who are looking to connect uh, in from a receive standpoint, but it really is going to be incumbent upon all of us to be able to start supporting those send side applications so that we can actually get the tools into the user's hands. And a lot of that's going to take holistic payment strategy from financial institutions and uh, their software providers uh, together. Um, you know, I think for many years, uh, financial institutions have been okay with their core provider just saying, hey, here's the next upgrade. Let's go ahead and get that scheduled. Um, RTP and FedNow is not an upgrade to payments. It's a brand new infrastructure that can be used in a lot of different ways. And I think that's really where the strategic uh, bend comes in. And many organizations that haven't had a payment strategy really need to start focusing in on trying to develop those collaborative strategies with their software and technology providers. 
Oh, well said. So, Peter, I've been reading about programmable real-time payments. Can you explain a little bit about what they are and what the implications for it are? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think as I mentioned, you know, we developed uh, RTP and the Fed developed FedNow um, as not replacement payment systems. Uh, so they weren't meant to replace ACH or wire or card transactions, although a lot of people like to think that they, they replace those capabilities. Um, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that we've built out 21st century payment infrastructures that allow for payments to move in real time with a lot more robust information. Uh, you talked about ISO 20022 at the beginning of this conversation, the basis for both of those, uh, those new capabilities uh, in the marketplace. Uh, and I think what it really turns into is that you now have something that matches what you need in a 21st century architecture, which makes payments programmable. And what that really means is that at the end of the day, we can now integrate payments flows into any application that you'd want and allow the end user to do things much more seamlessly. And the nature of having a 24-7 real-time system that communicates back and forth, uh, it allows for transparency, surety, and the ability to complete a transaction fully reconciled without the need for anybody to do anything else. So think about being able to get rid of a lot of back office functions at corporations, uh, even within financial institutions. The play here isn't about a new payment rail. The play here is about efficiency and to move things in the way that the economy moves things today in real time. Oh, right. That's that's something I, I was not aware of, and I, I hope our uh, hope our listeners took note there. So let's go down to uh, to B two B payments and real time payments. That intersection. TCH has a million dollars threshold now, um, but the industry does seem to be a bit hesitant on building out use cases. What do you think it's going to take to gain more traction for B2B real-time payments? Well, I think it kind of goes back to a point that we just raised, right? Uh, financial institutions have to enable those send-side channels for their customers to be able to move transactions. But in my opinion, it's not enough for a financial institution to simply just give their customer a new tool um, that's connected into the bank. Uh, they really need to have the access to the APIs and software developers and third parties need to be able to connect into a financial institution on behalf of a business customer to allow for the transactions to flow. If all we do is give our customers a tool to send an individual transaction and we don't actually allow them to fully integrate into their back office, we don't see any of the efficiencies that we talked about here just a second ago. Um, I think that there's a couple trillion dollars locked up in wasted processes uh, across uh, businesses all over. So this is not a hard thing to sell businesses if you don't sell it as a payment mechanism. If you sell it as something that can actually help their business grow, help them to be more efficient, and in the meantime, also increase their liquidity, um, there's no business out there who's going to say no to that value proposition. Uh, and I think that's that's really where we need to get to as an industry. And that's going to take a lot more education um, and a lot more collaboration across many different disciplines in order for us to create those new capabilities that allow businesses to succeed. But I think business to business is a slam dunk. Um, we just need to put the infrastructure in place that allows them to connect into these, these new capabilities and sell it the right way, honestly. Yeah, you know, I, I love your quote about being in the first four minutes of a four-quarter game because I'm a football fan, and and I just love the fact that we're we're starting out on this journey. Um, how close are we to realizing the initial vision 
for real-time payments? Yeah, so I think we are still a long ways off. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, back to the, the quote that we just used, you know, we're still at the beginning of this game. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of different players to come on and to create differential services. Uh, but we're still very much in the first part of this. And, you know, I think we're probably a good five or so years out before we start to see a much broader adoption. Uh, if you think about how long it took ACH to gain critical mass, I mean, you're talking somewhere around 15 to 20 years. Um, I think the RTP and FedNow journey will be much quicker because I think once people realize that you can actually make payments programmable, you can integrate them into end user tools, this thing takes off a lot faster because you're not trying to educate people on how to use payments. Uh, we've done a horrible job as an industry over the past couple of decades of forcing our customers, our business customers, become experts in the payment space. Um, we have to stop doing that. We have to make it easier for them. We have to stop making them be experts in the banking space. That's why we're all here, right? We're payments experts. We're business and uh, banking experts. But let them focus on their business and let's us as an industry figure out how to best integrate these things so that they don't have to worry about the fact that there's a payment going through. All they have to know is that they're accomplishing a business function and that business function ultimately is connected into their financial institution. Let's let's move on to uh, to cross border payments, Peter, which I know is a, is another passion project of yours. As you well know, and, and our audience may know, the EU is ready to adopt new payment regulations that will encourage the use of instant payments. You've been very vocal about extending real time payments to cross border payments. How can the industry move the needle on real time payments in the cross border context? Yeah, so I think the technology part is the easy part. Um, you know, when the clearinghouse uh, did their proof of concept with uh, IXB or International Cross Border, it, we showed that you could actually make switches interoperate across borders. And you know, the fact that we're all speaking a similar language in ISO 20022, it allows us to have a fighting chance at creating some uh, global interoperability among various different real-time payment systems. Um, so tech being easy. <laughs> um, politics and everything else uh, being a little bit harder, right? So I think that the hard part is going to be setting the standards for how these payments move cross-border. Um, the technology is already there. It can be done fairly uh, efficiently, um, but it's, it's ultimately going to come down to how can we create standards between different countries and how these transactions do settle. Because um, when you're talking about payments, settlement is the important part. Uh, the clearing side is, is much easier. We've been doing that for a long time. But the settlement between those organizations is going to be the, the more difficult piece. So I think, you know, we need to sit down um, as multiple countries and figure out how do we actually get to a set of standards that allow us to create that interoperability and to leverage the rich technology that already is out there. But again, one of the reasons I'm bullish on cross-border payments is it's highly inefficient today. There's a lot of people who are involved in the process and ultimately the folks who need it the most, some of the smallest institutions, don't have access to the tools they need to to be able to affect cross-border transactions. And I think that when you start to bring real-time cross-border to the market and you do it in a way in which the system operators are actually the ones creating the interoperability, not third parties, um, you create a ripe environment to allow a lot of new players to come into the marketplace. Uh, that includes a lot of credit unions and community banks that don't have access to those tools today. So you mentioned standards, and when you say standards, I think APIs um, and, and the lack thereof. Um, 
There's been a lot of criticism around the lack of API standards, which are going to be critical for real-time payments growth. In your opinion, how does the industry create and promote better API standards? Yeah, so a couple of things have already kind of come to fruition. So I, I love, you know, other countries get forced into a regulatory framework that you know, requires them to do some things that probably they wouldn't have done otherwise. Uh, in the U.S., I think we've been pretty fortunate because we've had groups come together very early on, uh, first under FSISAC, then we formed the uh, Financial Data Exchange Group. Um, that's setting some standards for API. It was originally focused in on just data transfer between fintechs and financial institutions and third parties uh, on behalf of their customers, joint customers. Uh, but they've started to move into the standard space for payment APIs. And I think that's going to be critical, especially when we go back to the conversation around B2B payments. Um, you can't have businesses that interoperate with four banks that have to have different standards for all of those various different uh, financial institutions they deal with. There needs to be a single standard that they're all at least within a, you know, a common denominator, um, being able to, to access those capabilities. So, um, you know, there's other organizations out there that are starting to help drive some of the um, uh, API standards, uh, folks like uh, Akoya. Um, Akoya is a group that actually has developed a, uh, a set of software that allows for fintechs and financial institutions to communicate together more efficiently under a single standard. Um, they're going to start potentially moving into the payment space as well. And I think in the U.S., we're going to actually get some much more robust standards. But we have to not be afraid as financial institutions to admit that we need to work together to create those standards. Uh, I think in many cases, um, financial institutions tend to use the walled garden approach. If I don't allow my customer out, therefore, I am in a better position to make sure I keep them. Um, I don't think that particular mindset works anymore. Uh, I think we have to be much more open. I think we have to allow our customers to adopt new technologies with ease and not make it such a walled garden approach. And it's going to take financial institutions waking up and understanding what their what the true intent of their business customer is to figure out that they need to be much more open. Let's talk about the bad guys for a couple of minutes, if we could. We've, <laughs> we've seen a lot of activity, really year to date, on the fraud and financial crimes front. I mean... Um, I've been covering a little bit of the confirmation of payee traction in the UK. Uh, there's been an increase in insider frauds, but a good deal of it surrounds fraud and, and real-time payments. And I know you're familiar with Jessica Cheney, who's our, our expert here at Bottom Line um, around real-time payments. She's been very active in trying to dispel what she sees as the mistaken perception that real-time payments are more susceptible to fraud. What are your thoughts on that topic? Yeah, Jessica and I are in the same camp on that one. Uh, it, it kills me every time I hear faster payments, faster fraud. Um, you know, a couple of things that I'll go in my soapbox for a second. So first of all, real-time payments are not faster payments. They're real-time payments. So real-time and instant, we need to stop talking about faster versus or everything under the faster umbrella. Um, faster is like same day ACH and push to card transactions. And those potentially are more susceptible to fraud because they use debit mechanisms, uh, blind sort of pulls of money as opposed to validated pushes of money. Um, when we come to real time and instant payments, you know, the RTP and the FedNow scheme, it's actually been shown that they actually reduce fraud because you're putting more control in the customer's hand, giving them tools like utilizing request for payment instead of an auto debit. Um, that allows for there to be a point of validation to be able to push it out. Financial institutions are also in the best place to be able to secure and safeguard their customers' accounts. 
Um, financial institutions have thrown a lot of money at their mobile applications and others within uh, the ecosystem that allow them to really uh, prove out who their customer is, a lot of really good tools in that space. So if you then move transactions from a debit pull to a credit push point of view with better security in place, you end up in a much better environment for the customer not to be defrauded. Now, it doesn't mean that you're still not going to have first party type fraud. I know we've seen a rise in first party fraud, people gaming the system. I know that we've seen account takeovers happen. Um, and I think there's another misnomer out there in the industry about the fact that when a real-time payment is sent, you actually have to send it immediately. Well, you can work as fast as you are comfortable with your customer. Just because they want to admit, uh, send a real-time payment doesn't mean that it actually has to go out in real time. Um, the, the bank can take their, their time to validate, to make sure that they do callbacks if they need to, uh, send a, a secondary code to make sure that there's at least a little bit of friction in that transaction. Uh, but I, in general, believe that we're going to have a much better environment having customers work through their financial institution to send payments uh, than we do with uh, a lot of the blind auto debit capabilities that exist in today's environment. Now, your experience has has made you expert in a, in a lot of different areas, and, and I was very interested to read some of your opinions around artificial intelligence. There's a lot. There's a lot about generative AI. There's a lot of conversations that are really not relevant. Um, but how do you see that technology affecting the payments industry? Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm bullish in general. So I'm a technologist by trade. I I love new technologies. I love the way they've come together. I mean, you know, that said, we're saying AI is new technology. It's been around since the 50s, right? So 1959, you know, the first uh, AI models were developed, and it was access to technology, the ability to process that information, and access to information that really has put us now in a much better place to start leveraging artificial intelligence models on various different disciplines. Um, you know, we've been talking about robotics process automation for a long time within the banking industry and helping to smooth out some of the back office functions. Um, I think now that we're starting to look at some of the generative AI and some of the other capabilities, I think certainly there's a place in leveraging really good, robust data models and fraud detection, um, customer behavior pattern detection, making sure that we're validating our customers appropriately. I also think that there's a lot better capabilities that we can put in place in terms of loan origination, uh, leveraging complex data models to be able to potentially approve people we couldn't approve before because we didn't have all the information at our fingertips. So I'm very bullish that AI will impact the financial industry in a very positive way. But if we're only in the first couple minutes of the game for instant payments, um, I don't think the game has even started for AI. I think it's a lot of a uh, lot of information out there that people are still trying to distill. But I think we have a long way to go before we actually prove out the models and create the environments that are needed to be able to protect the models appropriately, to give it the right data, to be able to train our people to leverage artificial intelligence and to train our regulators um, as to how artificial intelligence is actually helping us to drive a better banking ecosystem. Uh, so I think we've got a long way to go. And back to the standards question that you asked earlier, I think we need to have more robust standards around how we develop these data models. Um, I've said for years that you're going to need various different new disciplines inside financial institutions to help do this, to train the models the right way, to take out bias. Um, you know, so a lot of lot of new capabilities will come in. I mean, I know Brett King uh, talked about uh, AI a long time ago in uh, his Bank uh, Bank 2.0 book. Um, and, you know, that was, what, six, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago when that came out. 
And we're now just starting to see some of that play out. Uh, so uh, we have a long way to go. And I think uh, it'll be fun uh, for us to be able to work through as an industry together to, to use AI uh, in a very positive way for our customers. So I think you'd probably agree that we're in the first quarter for open banking as well. No, um, you've been a proponent of active and responsible data usage, which is going to be particularly relevant as the U.S. continues to wrestle with potential regulations and open banking. Do you see open banking gaining critical mass in the U.S. anytime soon? Yeah, you know, we from a uh, clearinghouse perspective, we coined the term uh, connected banking as opposed to completely open banking. Um, I think open banking is a misnomer. Uh, even if you look over in the UK, even though they called it open banking, it was about creating more of a level playing field than truly having you know, walls that were completely open. Um, so when we think about the connected ecosystem and doing these things responsibly, I think the US is, is actually in a pretty good position. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, we founded things like financial data exchange. We have companies like Akoya and Plaid and others that are out there that are doing things in a much more responsible manner than I think was done previously. Uh, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this continues to, to play out. Uh, but I love the fact that the industry is collaborating together. I love the fact that they're trying to move things forward in a very disciplined manner. Um, and the nice thing about doing it not under a regulatory mandate is that you can make better decisions that make more sense for all the participants that are involved in it. Um, I think it's going to take a while for us to get to the payments piece. As we talked about, there's still API standards are very much nascent. Um, I think those need to come together. Uh, but once the industry comes together on those topics, I do believe that we can move fairly quickly and efficiently because I've seen the financial institutions and the fintechs involved in these processes. And once these things get solidified, uh, the adoption is actually quite, quite swift. Uh, so I, I do feel like there's a, a good opportunity for us to continue partnering together uh, to create a much better, safer, connected ecosystem uh, where we're all able to service our customers better because, you know, it's not one entity that owns a customer relationship. Um, the customer owns their own data. The customer owns their own banking relationship. Uh, it's going to be up to us to make it so that it's easy for them to do business with multiple parties. And I think that's really where this uh, connected and open banking uh, piece comes into play. All right, Peter, you made that a great conversation. Much appreciated. Uh, that is a wrap for this episode of the Payments Podcast. Our guest has been Peter Davey. Peter, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And uh, tune in again next time. We're available on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. from Bottom Line Technologies.